you can, if you can swing on him and kill him down there, do it. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a great three-part series on elk calling with Steve Chapel of Chapel Guide Service and Chapel Hunting Productions. Steve is probably the best all-around elk caller that I know, and he does a phenomenal job in this three-part series going through the different sounds that he makes. We're going to cover mouth calling with diaphragms. We're going to call... Uh, cover external read uh, calling with uh, his trophy wife and matriarch uh, cow calls, external read calls, and we're going to cover bugling. And he's going to demonstrate all of the calls, and we're going to talk about specifics and things that he's doing with his lips, with his mouth, with his tongue, uh, and, and how he's making these calls and the thought process he uses. Uh, so this is going to be an unbelievable three-part series. I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, you hear at the beginning of this podcast some uh, bugling frenzy, just chaotic uh, cow calling and bugling and, and chaos. This is from one of Steve's hunts uh, off of his Extreme Bulls 8 uh, DVDs. And uh, you can go on his website, chapelguideservice.com and order the DVDs uh, right off of his website. You can also order all of the calls that we'll be talking about uh, directly off of his website, chapelguideservice.com. I wanna thank him for spending a good couple of hours here with us um, explaining exactly how he makes some of these sounds. I know you guys are gonna love it and uh, it's just going to be awesome. I want to remind you guys, uh, we've got GoHunt.com Insider as the title sponsor of this podcast. If you're not an Insider member, you can go to GoHunt.com Insider, click on the blue Join Now button. You can get a $50 Kuyu gift card right away for signing up or a $50 Sportsman's Warehouse gift card right away for signing up. Uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. Also, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix, the Optics Authority, is a, a, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount at everything there at the Outdoorsman's. Uh, Real Game Calls, uh, the Elk Reel, uh, uh, 50 or 60 people have contacted me telling me how much uh, they've just absolutely loved the call. They're excited to use it this elk season. Uh, and you use uh, the J. Scott promo code, you get a 20% discount on all calls over at uh, theelkreel.com or realgamecalls.com. And then, of course, PhoneScope. If you use J. Scott 16 uh, at PhoneScope, you get a 10% discount uh, of all products at PhoneScope. So, guys, I want to uh, thank you for listening to this podcast, and I would... Uh, inc highly encourage you to support the sponsors that support this podcast and make it possible. I know a lot of you do. I get emails every day from from listeners saying, uh, telling me about the different products that they've bought from these sponsors and uh, how much they're enjoying them. And uh, just thank you for all the positive comments. Uh, if you haven't, please go on iTunes and uh, leave a, a, a honest rating uh, and review uh, those help my placement on iTunes and uh, we're just uh, finished uh, August was the biggest download month I've, I've had in the history of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast and that is only possible from you guys the great overpouring outpouring of support that I get uh, from you guys I want to hear about your hunting excursions this fall uh, if you're on Instagram you can tag me um, uh, J. Scott Outdoors or J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, and I just uh, appreciate you guys so much. And I look forward to sharing uh, my hunts with you this fall and all the encounters that I have. So let's have a great fall 2016 season. Uh, let's give it 110% effort. And uh, uh, just thanks for all the support. Let's get right to this three-part series with Steve Chapel of Chapel Guide Service. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a good friend, Steve Chapel of Chapel Guide Service. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jay. It's 
great to be on the show with you again. I think it was this spring, and I've been yep. anticipating this for a while. Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, for those listeners out there that don't know, Steve and I, when did we meet, Steve? Was it 97, 96? 95, actually. In Chris- 1995. Creek, Arizona. Yep. So Steve's dad had a early rifle permit in Unit 23, and I met Steve and his dad, and... Uh, instantly knew these guys loved elk and and uh, steve was an excellent caller the first day that i met him and i believe you had a hat on that said alcoholic which uh pretty much uh i, I do you still have that hat? oh no way it was probably, probably one of those choo-choo high hats. you know i'd be embarrassed to see a picture of that right now i'm sure Oh, but we had a good time on that hunt and we've been friends ever since. And actually, uh, for, for quite a few years, we're partners, uh, in the guide service and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, we had some great time filming a bunch of those extreme bulls videos and, uh, we've been dear friends for a long time and it's uh, great to have you on. It's been fun to really see the success that you've had with the calls that you've come up with and created and, and the success that you've had with your elk calling and, you know, truly taking your elk calling to another level and, um, you know, your affiliation with the Cabela's and, and uh, all the different things that you've got going on. It's just um, great to see uh, someone, also a, a fellow believer in the Lord, uh, you know, it's just great to have that bond with you, that friendship, and also great to see you succeed with you know, your guide service and, you know, all the stuff you've got going with, with elk hunting and elk calling. Oh, and thank you, Jay. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel the same likewise to you. I, I'm so happy for, you know, your successes and in, in this, in this podcast and how successful it's been for you. Uh, amazing. The guests you have on here. I mean, I feel really humbled to, to be a part of it and to get to be a guest on here. Um, I'm a big fan of it and, and, uh, I know it's doing great and, you've got a really good thing going. Well, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it and I get great feedback from listeners. And, you know, it, it just uh, seems like the older I get, the more uh, information and more help that, that, you know, I can bring out of a guest on the show to help other people out there. It's just uh, for me what it's all about. And I know we're going to have a great episode today. Um, Last year, elk season, Unit 9, uh, I had the fortune of camping right next to Steve, and and uh, we'd blow elk calls at each other and wave every morning and every night. Um, and you're going to be back in Arizona this year uh, guiding hunters in, in Unit 9. Uh, how's it look down there, Steve? Yeah, it you know, it was the typical. We had a good enough winter that the feed was good this spring, but then we had that typical dry spell, you know, in May and June, and it got really dry. Um, we've been lucky to pick up some good, some good monsoon storms. I wouldn't say that the entire unit picked it up, but a lot of the unit did. So overall, you know, the feed looks good right now. Um, there's lots of water in, in lots of tanks, which, which is good. Um, I think the elk are going to go into the rut healthy, so it should be a good active rut, although the archery hunt starts a little early this year. So the first week could be a little slow. Um, I would say overall antler growth is, you know, average to to strong on some bulls, just depending on what areas they're in. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a banner banner year for that, but um, you, you know, you and I both enjoy just the rut and calling, and that's what kind of turns our crank. So I think I think it'll be a good time. For sure. You know, um, last year was kind of an odd year yeah. with the early rifle hunt going in front of the archery hunt and then the archery hunt going behind the early rifle hunt. And um, you and I both kind of were kind of shaking our heads, just wondering what was going to happen. And I think I think everything kind of unfolded about what we thought. I mean, seemed like by the archery season, you know, a lot of the bulls were jostled around a little bit, but then as the last week of the archery season, you know, ensued, the bulls were, you know, screaming and going crazy and what have you. Um, but you know, I, I, I've said it many times. I like the early rifle hunt after the archery hunt. I just feel like the archers should get first crack at them. I wasn't a big uh, fan of that. I know 
I think in unit 27 this year, yes. I think they're doing the early rifle hunt in front of the archery hunt. Right. Um, still not a fan yeah. uh, of that, but you know, maybe it's something I just have to get over. Um, they're probably going to you know, pick on a different unit every year for that. And yeah. you know what, I'm sure you would agree what I saw in nine last year, it did not give the early rifle hunters an advantage at all. Um, in fact, I thought that hunt was very lackluster being early. So they had no advantage, in my opinion, by going first ahead of the archers. Yeah, I mean, I know a couple big bulls were killed, but I think in general, uh, it was just kind of a slow rut. I think the, you know, the, the, the unit, you know, got blitzed a little bit with, you know, every, every camp having, you know, 10 helpers and people driving around right. and, and what have you, um. But, you know, the reality is, as much as I like to complain about it, um, and I'm good at it, by the way, um, it, it's still a phenomenal hunt down there in Unit 9. Right. And, you know, I, I think somewhat I need to shake myself a little bit because I get pretty spoiled. You know, it's it's a bad day when you only go out in here, you know, 15 bulls bugle in the morning, you know. So it's, it's, it's or they shut up in 30 minutes. I mean, uh, it's still pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. Most we think about most guys that have to hunt the high country of Colorado or Idaho or places like that. I mean, they would kill to get to hunt in unit nine or twenty-three or three C or one. You know, some of these units that we get to hunt. Uh, yeah, we do tend to get a little spoiled, and sometimes you just have to step back and look at the big picture and pinch yourself a little bit and say, you know, I really am lucky to be able yeah. to do this every year because you know yeah. it's a dream hunt for most people. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, uh, interesting twist this year. Uh, your dad actually has drawn the early rifle permit in Unit 9 as well, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> the last Arizona tag he had was on that year that you and I met for the first time in 1995. They're in Unit 23, and he somewhat didn't realize how special that tag was because he drew it the very first time we put him in. So obviously he thought, well, I can draw this every other year. Well, Turns out it took him 21 years to draw again. So wow. I think he knows this time how much is riding on it and how special the tag is. Um, you know, lucky for him, he's still in great condition, gets around really well, you know, 21 years later from the first tag. So I think, you know, I think we'll have a great hunt with him. Yeah, you know, he's a, he's a very special guy for sure. And you know, it's something about those lion hunters, you know, those guys are just tough and your dad's one of them. And, uh, you know, just, uh, hope, hope you guys have a great hunt and I'll be anxious to see, um, how you guys do. I know you'll do real well. Um, what, what reports are you getting from some of your other guides, uh, across the state of Arizona, as far as how do some of the other units look and, you know, what kind of forecast do you see? Uh, for the rest of the state as well. Yeah, um, you know, up, up in the Northwest, it's kind of the same as what we've been talking about with nine. About the same scenario, like in Unit Eight, Unit Ten, uh, those units there. Uh, then over in the White Mountains, I'm hearing that like like Unit One, Unit Twenty Seven looks really good. I think, I think again, just because of that mountain country, it just tends to get more precipitation, tends to stay greener. Um, so I'm hearing really good things about those units over there in the White Mountains. So we're anticipating a really good hunt over there. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm excited myself. Uh, I've, I've probably the guys listening to the podcast are sick of me, uh, sick of hearing about it. But I'm excited to get over to Beaver, Utah, and <laughs> and um, you know I I drew after 16 years over there. Drew the only non-resident uh, wow. permit for archery elk and. Um, the last time I was in Utah was actually with you over right. on the Boulder unit. Uh -huh. What year was that, Steve? I was telling someone that was in 2007, Jay. Believe it or not, 2007. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 2007. So yeah. Um, and if I remember right, we went over to the Boulder and did. When did we get there? Like on the first or second? Yeah, I think it was um, the second or third. And okay. I'm sure you remember a lot of the unit where we were able to glass and find elk, the bulls were still bachelored up. Yeah, and I don't remember them bugling no. much. Um, although the day, maybe the day you killed, what'd you kill on like 
day seven or something? Yeah, some somewhere in there. I think it was about the sixth of September. I think it was or fifth, fifth or sixth. And yeah, we kind of had to go up in the high country, up in the the more aspen and spruce type country, and finally found some elk rutting a little bit. And you shot a really nice bull on a bull. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice bull. I thought he was a little better when I shot him, which always tends to be the case. <laughs> um, but but yeah, he he was a nice bull, and uh, man, he that was quite a mess getting that bull out. Remember all the rocks and blowdowns yeah. and everything? That was an interesting pack out. Yes, it was. I remember it was me, you, and Nevin, yeah. and uh, it was uh, that was an exciting one for sure. Yeah, it was good to have all of us. Uh, yeah, the the the, the tracking was <laughs> story in and of itself. We, we, we earned it. <laughs> We earned it. We were hands and knees on that yeah. deal. Um, all three of us actually. That was that was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited to get to Utah, and um, y- you know, it's it's one of those things uh, that the hunt starts on the 20th of August, and it's like, um, you know, I I don't really have any desire to go hunt a bull that's not bugling. My idea of elk hunting is hunting when they're you know, if, even if they're not rutting, if they're just bugling a little bit and, and making some noise and acting like what I think, you know, acting like an elk, then I want to hunt them. So I'm going to probably go over, uh, let a little bit of the archery deer and the spike and cow and some of that settle down and, uh, go over there and, and uh, get a couple weeks of hunting in. Um, but that, that is an interesting dynamic when, you know, I, I got a rude, kind of a rude awakening on your hunt. I thought, uh, you had told me there was, I think at that time there was like, I don't know, 12 permits, limited entry permits total. And I thought, you know, we're going to have this whole unit to ourselves. My goodness, there were quads and archery deer hunters and spike hunters everywhere. Remember that? Every ridge. It was crazy. The thing I remember the most is that those archery deer and spike hunters, they all seemed to have bugles with and, yeah. and uh, decoys yeah. and stuff. It was like, are you really hunting deer or what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, we'd run into a guy and we're like, you elk hunting? No, I got a deer tag. And he's got, a, you know, three cow calls hanging off his, <laughs> off his neck and a bugle. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Opportunist hunters, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go harass them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Break them in but, for the uh, permit holders. Yeah. <laughs> Try out the new bugle. Yeah. um steve uh i want to cover today uh i want to cover today uh elk calling uh specifically talking about bugling talking about cow calling and have you do some demonstration for us and um before we get to that let's just take a break here quick break to hear from our sponsors and then we'll get right into it awesome GoHunt.com Insider is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. GoHunt.com Insider are the industry leaders and number one source for Western hunting for a lot of reasons. GoHunt.com Insider have changed the game for how hunts and hunting information are found. Within a matter of minutes using filtering 2.0, you'll be able to filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, specific hunting dates, and harvest success percentages to find the hunts that fit exactly what you're looking for. If you are a guy that applies across the West or just in your home state but want to find some new opportunity, there's no better way to do it than using GoHunt.com Insider. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a GoHunt.com Insider membership for $149 a year and use the promo code JSCOTT, at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. Okay, Steve, um, let's talk a little bit about cow calling. And before I have you do some demonstration, 
in, the way I look at it, uh, it seems as though with elk calling, there's like two styles. There's like the buglers and the cow callers. And right. not that, not that uh, both can't do both, but the way I look at it, most people kind of classify themselves as, you know, cow callers or buglers. I agree. And then there's some people in the middle that say they do it all. But, you know, it, it, it seems as though there's 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 lovers and there's fighters. Exactly. Um, I, we've talked about this before, but I, I just want to get your sense. And I want to get your sense not only from an Arizona perspective, but from your call. You know, you live in Colorado. Uh, you, you've hunted in Colorado your whole life. Get a perspective, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a, a wide range perspective, and kind of get your thoughts on cow callers versus buglers. And would there be certain situations where maybe you would be a cow caller if you were this, or maybe you would be a bugler if you were, uh, uh, you know, lived in a certain area or what have you? Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And I also want to say, I'm not saying that one way is better than the other because everybody has a different style, but just want to get your whole feelings on the subject. Yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of got into elk calling in the, in the early nineties and I think it was when it was transitioning, you know, you had guys like Wayne Carlton and, you know, Primo's was kind of in its infancy as far as, you know, getting into the elk hunting big time. And I think elk hunting at that time was making a little bit of a transition from from bugling, you know, where everybody bugled and some guys would have, you know, like a, you know, PVC pipe or whatever they had to bugle with because the mindset was, well, if a bull bugles at me, I'm going to bugle back at him, you know, and it just seemed like in the early 90s it was making that transition to, hey, well, bulls are not only out there bugling, but why are they bugling? They're They're actually bugling not to just intimidate other bulls and say, I'm over here, stay away, but they're soliciting for cows. So, you know, people began to realize that, hey, their other motivation is breeding. So it just made sense that, you know, hey, if you could mimic that cow call, that that's what the bulls like to hear, you know, every bit as much, if not more than, than bugling. Um, they're going to like to hear a, a cow sound and have an invitation for love rather than a fight. And so I think a lot of the reason for my mindset is is the timing of when I got into it is that cow calling was becoming popular. And it's it seemed like early on, even though I, I believe I've come a long ways in my calling and still have a ways to go, um, you know, I had success with it right away. And so, you know, I, I'm just kind of of the mindset when you have success with something, you stick with what's working. Um, I can still remember my first archery hunt. Yeah, it was in the early 90s and crossed a, crossed a river in the dark, you know, hiked up a hillside with the current wind currents blown down to me, got up there a ways on the hill. Um, I had a Primo's pallet plate, I think a sentry plate at the time. I think that's the first call you ever actually gave me, Jay. Uh -huh. um, you know, made a couple cow calls on it and I'll be doggone if a bull didn't bugle up the mountain a couple hundred yards in front of me. So I walked forward another 7,500 yards, got set up, blew a few more cow calls back behind me, and here he came flying down the hill bugling at me, came right into 30 yards, and I shot and, and killed him. And I thought, wow, elk hunting is this easy? <laughs> you, know? and you should have just quit exactly. right then. <laughs> you, know, you find out that it's not that easy every year, but you know, my very first archery bull happened to be that easy. Um, yeah, and it was with cow calling. So I, I guess that's kind of why I have that cow calling mindset. Now, you know, I will bugle some, and I know guys that have a lot of success with it. And like you just said, I don't, I don't feel there's a right or wrong to it. A lot of it, a lot of it is how do you want to play the game? And some guys want to approach it; they want to fight a bull in, and um, and they have success with that. So, uh, so that's I, great. I, I would ask you, uh, Steve. Sorry to interrupt, but I would ask you, you yourself, have you ever? just bugled and bugled a bull in where he bugles, you bugle, he bugles, you bugle, and he comes in. I could probably count that on both hands easily. I have, and it's always been a bull with cows that I've done that with. Um, and to be honest with you, I listened to your podcast, I think it was late last year with Joel Turner. 
Uh-huh. And what he was talking about really intrigued me. I think he's he I think he's on to something there. Um because when I think back um I didn't know what to call the bugle or you know what I was saying or who I was talking to, but I I think he's on to something when he says that that bugle uh, that some people call a display bugle, uh, kind of that raspy lip bally bugle, is is a bull talk talking to cows. And when I've had success and got in close to a herd bull and can't call him in with cow calling, um, it seems like I've had some bulls just come raging into that call. Okay, so you're talking about the situation where you're in tight, he's got cows, he's bugling, yes. you're cow calling. He's not coming. Right. You fire off that what Joel calls, I believe, the bull calling cow's bugle. Yes. And that bull just loses his mind and comes over to you. Right. And like you said, I and like Joel says, I think you have there it's critical that you're close to that bull, super close. I'm talking, you know, inside of a hundred yards and closer than that, if the terrain will allow you to be that close. Because I think if you're further away, their tendency is to just take their cows and leave. So in other words, you're, you're, you're in tight enough that he has no choice. He either has to push his cows and run away from you and look like a chicken, or he has to stand up and fight. Yeah. In other words, if you're sitting, I think Joel uses this explanation, if you're sitting at a table and a guy's way across the restaurant and yells out, you know, hey, idiot and you just kind of ignore him. But if he comes right to your table and looks right at you and says, hey, you idiot, or says something to your wife, you don't have a choice other than to either run, you know, run around the guy and leave the restaurant yeah. or stand up and slug him in the guts. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would probably be myself classified as a passive bull <laughs> or a passive human <laughs> It would take that guy coming right up and probably talking to my wife and flirting with my wife right in front of me. Um, <clears throat> but I do think there's some significance to that. And like I said in the past, when I've called bulls in making that sound, I really didn't think that level deeper and realize what was actually taking place there. And I'm going to be interested to try that out a little more this fall. You know, I have a ton of success cow calling, um, so it's hard to switch up from that. Um, but when I get in that scenario with with a herd bull, and the time is right, I'm not going to be afraid to try that, you know, and kind of kind of knowing what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I always think about when I'm talking about you know cow callers and then versus buglers, I I do feel like also if you were just gonna bugle in Arizona and you let's say you don't even blow cow calls. I think there's times when you could also call in a lot of young bulls right. depending on your bugle. Yes. I mean, if you were just kind of whistling away, I'm thinking that, you know, smaller subordinate bulls are just going to come over and kind of come within eyesight and see what's going on, thinking they're missing out on something. Right. Um, and... Do you think that applies to um, some of the different states, you know, Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, where, um, you know, a lot of times guys are just going hunting and they're just trying to kill a bull. I mean, yeah. we get so spoiled in Arizona, you know, oh, he's only a 360, you know, he's only got, you know, 12 inch fifth points. Let's not shoot him. Where, you know, 99% of probably elk hunters are out there. Their, their goal is just to kill a bull. Do you feel like guys in Colorado and Washington and Oregon, if if they bugled more, would they maybe have more of a chance to, you know, call in any type, type of bull? I think potentially so, because, you know, elk are very social. Um, they're also very territorial. So, yeah, I believe that satellite bulls, they'd be very interested in knowing, hey, what what bull is that? You know, num number one, this is my place. You know, I'm I'm hanging out in this drainage uh, my wallow is down on this bench and you know this this is my area and you know who's this coming in here bugling um i, I agree with you they, they could they could call a bull in just out of curiosity now maybe he wouldn't always come in bugling necessarily he might come in quiet on him um 
So, so yeah, I, I do think there's some credence in that. I just haven't really tested that theory out much at all, to be honest with you. You know, Ben's a, I've had so, so much success cow calling, and the and the results have been pretty dramatic. So, I've I've just stuck with that. Um, but I do, yeah, I know people that do call in bulls with bugling and and fighting them in. And one thing I've noticed is is guys that sound better on a bugle, that sound more elky, obviously are going to call in more bulls that way. I was just going to ask you that question. Um, you know, for me, you know, I think this will be my 21st year in the Elkwoods taking the month off. And I hear so many bugles out there that just do not sound good. Yeah. I know that guys that bugle very well, like I know that you, I know that if I took your cow calls away from you and you only had a bugle and I said, Steve, you've got one week and you only have a bugle. I know that you could go out there and call in a lot of bulls with your, with your bugle. But the thing is, I always hear bugles from guys and you're like, that doesn't sound anything like an elk other than it hit kind of a high note and it's it's nothing like. So yeah. these bugle proponents that are huge on the on, you know, bugling, I think you almost have to say it with the it's it's a little bit of a catch 22 because it's like if you don't sound good you have no chance calling a bull into a bugle in my opinion yeah whereas you, with a cow call yeah. if you blow two or three cow calls even if they're not right but it's just kind of a, yeah, yeah yeah you still can call stuff in because of the shortness of the call right then you've got this bugle where they growling at the beginning and go into this whole thing yeah. and you know then these chuckles and i'm like that how do they think that that sounds like a, a you know something that's going to work? Yeah, you might get a spike to come in to check it out to go. Holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> and and it's not that I'm picking on the fellow my fellow hunter, but I kind of am. It's like, guys, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna call, you've got to practice, and it's got to sound somewhat relative you know, somewhat like an elk. Yeah. I think a term that gets thrown around real loosely and I think mistakenly somewhat is that elk all sound different. So it doesn't matter what you sound like on a call because the elk sound different. I agree with that to, to a certain extent. I do believe that elk have different voices and they sound different, but when you're out there and you hear a lot of them, they all have an elk like quality to it. Right. I, and what would you describe that as Steve? It's, it's three with cows. It's three dimensional. It's it's it, it's nasally. Um, also, the cadence. Humans tend to have a, a certain cadence that we can pick out. Um, again, with the bulls, their sounds are very three dimensional. It almost sounds like they're blowing into a, you know, fifty gallon drum or something. J just the. The, the echo and three-dimensional quality of it, it's just very hard for humans to duplicate. And then that high pitch that they can hit. I just hear very, very few callers that can hit that just real screamy high pitch that those bulls hit. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, um, you know, even the best buglers in the world, as good as they are, I still think... <laughs> It's very hard to duplicate the original sound where I think some of the best cow callers in the world can, you know, yeah. you, you can sound 99.9% .9 of the time, just like a cow elk, where I would say you're a very good bugler and you're probably 80% of the time you sound just like a bull elk because the, it just, humans cannot get that bellow. They can't get that deep guttural they just you know it's very very hard to duplicate yeah. would you agree with that yeah especially that heavy end when a bull stops his bugle that uh, that big yeah. deep heavy end yeah um yeah i would say even the best buglers in the world if you've heard a lot of elk you could pick a person out um but i don't know that the elk are that deciphering so you know hence yeah. those great buglers do have a lot of a lot of success for and sure, I'm sure they sure. call in a ton of people because, let's face it, not not a lot of people have the luxury of hearing elk all the time. So 
they can be fooled by real good buglers and be called in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> would you say, going out on a limb a little bit here, would you say some of the best buglers in the world, you throw them in Unit 9, are they going to have the success that they've had in other states in some of these pressured areas like you know, and people say, well, a unit nine's not pressured. There's elk everywhere and they're screaming their guts out. Well, there's roads everywhere and they hear all kinds of artificial calls. So in my opinion, they are, they, I don't like the word call shy, but they know what's real and what's not. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm curious your opinion on take, you know, the top five buglers in the world that that have great success do you truly feel that they would have that same success on uh you know arizona state land or, or public land in say unit nine or unit 10 or what have you i think they might struggle a little bit um you know they probably would have some success here and there but i think overall they might struggle a little bit if they've hunted high mountain country where they're used to getting to bulls that other people aren't getting to and, you know, those elk that they're hunting haven't heard bugling like they do in Arizona, because you're right. These, those units like nine and, uh, you know, and one and on and on and on, they're just cut up with fire control roads. So people can easily get to them and just blow all kinds of calls at them. Um, you know, I've even heard of some guys that are great buglers that do draw a tag in Arizona occasionally. And, you know, they they ultimately succeed, but they're stories of struggling, you know, stories of, of, of bulls bugling, but going away from their calling. So, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think Arizona elk are a little different in some ways and, and, you know, just like elk and others, you know, elk are elk, but, um, yeah, it's just always something that I, that I toss around in my mind and I listen to different things and read different things and, sometimes shake my head and think, you know, you, you know, come try those tactics in Arizona and, and, um, that it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I do feel like works effectively cause I've seen it over and over and over is someone that can be a very, very good cow caller, uh, can do well, in my opinion, in both situations, uh, right. or in, 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 in all areas, if you're a good cow caller, in my opinion, you can get it done in any state in the Western U S. Um, so what I'd like to do here is let's take a quick break. And then I want to dive into actual cow calling and have you demonstrate, uh, both the external and the mouth calls. Okay. Sounds great. Jay real game calls featuring the elk reel. Real Game Calls makes innovative, realistic, and easy-to-master calls using their proprietary, revolutionary design. They are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.ElkReel.com. PhoneScope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at Phonescope. Okay, Steve, it's uh, your pick here, what you want to start with as far as cow calling, um, whether you start with the uh, external or the mouth call, uh, but you pick it, and then I've got some questions before you start. Okay, let's go ahead and do the external the open reads. Okay, um, the one of the things about the open read that I think is very interesting is you can get that real nasally sound. And the listeners, if you haven't heard Steve call, uh, Steve, they can go to your website, chapelguideservice.com, and I'm assuming that it would link to your YouTube channel. 
you have a bunch of YouTube videos of, of you know, you demonstrating uh, your different calls, correct? Yes, yes, and there is links off the website, and I actually do have YouTube videos also loaded right on the website on the Elk Call page. Okay, so both places. And, and so the matriarch and then the trophy wife are two external read calls that you have developed, you have designed and developed. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, the initial stages of design and what you wanted to get out of the call and what you were looking for? Yeah, um, you know, I really discovered open read calls there in the late 90s and it took me a little while to shine up to them. I, I, you know, I'd used diaphragms for several, several years at that point and had pretty good success with those. So these external rated calls just sounded very, very different to me. So my first reaction was, okay, well, they don't sound quite right. But then what I found is I started practicing on them and refining the sound a little bit is that they have such a three-dimensional nasal quality that is very hard to duplicate on a mouth read. So you know, there's lots of different open read calls out there, but what I want when I design an open read call is I want it to sound three-dimensional, nasally, and I want to be I want it to be sensitive to where I can blow it loudly or softly. And if I can get all those components in a call, then it's going to be absolutely stellar out there in the elk woods. And you know, I feel like with the help of um, Rocky Jacobson at Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls that we've been able to really achieve that. With the, the with the matriarch and the trophy wife calls, Steve on on external read calls. I mean, one of the first external reads, open read calls that I was using was you know I think we all did that uh, Carlton fighting cow, yeah. um, and then you know there was the hyper hot and and you know there's just been a bunch of calls over the years. One of the things that I found with those calls is there's a real harshness to it. And it, it seems like there's a fine line uh, between blowing an external read call and getting that harshness out of it and getting the sweet uh, tonal quality, which I feel like the matriarch and the trophy wife, uh, and, and I've been doing t call testing on my Instagram page and get, been getting a lot of feedback, but... Uh, the matriarch was my number one external read call, and it got knocked off the top uh, ladder by the trophy wife, which was your second call that you came out with. And now they're, you know, both one and two. Wow. And on any give any given different day, I'll say one's better than the other, and then I'll go back to the trophy wife. I'll go back to the matriarch. But can you speak a little bit about? Um, and and obviously no other call specifically, but it seems like. Uh, other manufacturers have not uh, found a way to get that sweet tonal quality, and it's more of that harsh and kind of an abrasive sound. Just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I won't definitely bash like the, 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 the hyper lip and the hyper hot and the the fighting cow because those are classic calls for sure. I think a for lot sure. of it is a, is technique and how you blow the call, how you use your lips, how you control the air pressure. I will say that you know my calls are by design a little bit different in the soundboard design, you know the mylar reed width and thickness and then the barrel and I do believe that someone can achieve a real sweet sound on that if they practice enough to where they know how to use their lips and, you know, control their air pressure. Um, so I do think that there is a lot to say about the design of a call for sure. Um, you know, I think a little bit of it is, is just luck, you know, knowing the sound that you want, you know, definitely having that in your mind and then trying some different things with barrel design and soundboard design. And all of a sudden you get it just right. And when you, when you hear what you've been looking for, you know it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's been fun to watch you refine. I mean, I remember when we were, you know, messing with elk calls and you started getting, it, it just like a light bulb went off in your head and you started taking, in my mind, 
external read, open read elk calling to a whole nother level. I, I still tell people all the time, there, there's nobody in my mind that I've ever heard that blows an external read call better than, than you. I've heard you m many times out in the woods. You know, we've been together and I've witnessed it. I've seen you blow it in front of 500 people in a seminar. <laughs> um, Which is the hardest place, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I want to urge the listeners out there to really go on. If you're, if you want to become a good elk caller, yes, listen to the elk. That's super important. But if you can take the sounds and the way that Steve blows the call and gets that three dimensional sound, it's really going to take your calling to the next level. Um, Steve, why don't you demonstrate uh, some open read calling now that I've built this up? Uh, <laughs> no pressure, uh, right? Yeah, no pressure. Um, there's only a million people listening to this. No, but um, why don't you kind of walk through uh, some of your calling, maybe talk about some of your sequencing, um, maybe maybe blow it in a way that you hear people blowing it or that you've blown it and you say this is not how it sounds and then maybe blow it and say this is what I'm this is what I'm searching for okay I'll start out with the matriarch first and as I alluded to a minute ago the key is to use your lips on these calls and not your teeth I just feel like you get a lot more sweet supple sound using your lips versus your teeth and then also is your breathing and your air control so a lot of it is is emotion control when you blow these calls because when you get out there you're hiking so you're you're you know you're you're getting worked up that way and then when you get close to a bugling bull you get a little bit of nervousness in you so you're you get short of breath so you've got to take deep breaths and get get your air from deep down in your stomach rather than just huffing it straight out of your mouth if if that makes sense it's kind of like blowing a musical instrument or singing you get your your air from down deep in your stomach most people, and I was the same way, you tend to clamp down on the call too hard in the beginning and it can cut it off and make it either not blow at all or you can get real harsh, you know, dramatic sounds and you don't really want that. You want just sweeter, more soft sounds. So what I do when I teach people is I tell them, just start out barely touching your lips on the call and get light air pressure bring it up from your stomach and it's not this is not what you want to get ultimately but it sounds like this in the beginning okay <clears throat> once you get that you just add a little more lip pressure to it keep the same amount of air pressure just add a little more lip pressure to start the cow call and then as you end the call you just lessen your your lip pressure ever so slightly and you get that nice kind of sliding cow call that you're looking for like this just something like that and i i found that the most common human um, sequence is is something like this It seems like people want to do that double clutch sound. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jay? Absolutely. On a, whether it's on a diaphragm or an open read. And to be honest, I don't do that at all on an open read. I, nev I, I never hear you do that. And I will throw something in there. I've seen you call so many times. I would describe the way you call as almost mellow. It's yeah. like your whole, everything about you, you're just kind of calm and it's a mellow, it's kind of a just, it's a mellow sound. Does that make sense, Steve? Yeah. Saying the word mellow? Totally. That That's my mindset is that I'm loving the bull. I'm sexy. I'm mellow. I really think that that's what bulls respond to. The only thing that I do out there loud and aggressive is on a mouth read, you know, as an estrusy or an excited cow call, which I'll demonstrate in a while. But when I'm blowing these open reads, my mindset is to be mellow and sexy. And I basically, I let the bull dictate to me how many times I'm going to call back to him as far as my sequencing goes. So I'll move in and introduce myself to him real sweet and sexy with maybe just one or two calls. And I'll try to blow the call away from him when he hasn't heard me call yet. I want to introduce myself subtly to him. And then when he bugles back to me, I want to give him just enough 
that I keep him encouraged to come to me and not get distracted with anything else. But then I, I'm not going to overdo it and wham, you know, throw 10 calls on him all at once. I'm just going to reel him in just nice and subtle and, and sexy with it. Uh, you know, I'm going to blow it just about like this. Just, just something like that. And again, I might blow, you know, say one to two to maybe three calls every time he bugles. And that just seems to be the magic formula, at least for me anyway. Steve, I know um, I've talked a lot on this podcast with Chris Rowe about specifically what elk are saying and, and trying to figure out their language as far as what they're meaning to say, what yeah. different sounds mean. But I know you have a little bit different take. I know just from being around you enough, you don't necessarily get into exactly what you're saying to the elk. You primarily are, I don't know how to say this, yeah. Can you speak to what you, do you understand kind of what I'm getting yeah. at? You're, yeah. you're not exactly. And, and like I said, everybody's got different styles. Chris Rowe is, you know, he's a wildlife biologist and it called, you know, he studies animal behavior yeah. and, and, um, so he, does a phenomenal job. Uh, but you have a little bit different style and that's not to necessarily, try and interpret everything that the elk is saying, you have a different style. Yeah, you could say it that way exactly. I, I believe that Chris has a very intelligent approach to it. And I, I think there's a lot to be said about that. I think he's right on the money. I think maybe you could say I have a little more of a caveman approach to it <laughs> versus Chris. Um, and, you know, you do learn a lot from listening to Chris. I, I believe that there's, you know, a, a ton to be learned and gained from him. Um, I, I feel I've had success keeping it simple and kind of taking my game to, to them, so to speak, taking my game to the elk. And I found with me, at least with my simple approach that if I hit the right tone, if I put the right tone and emotion into the call, that's what the elk really respond to. Um, so I'm not out there worried about whether I'm doing a contact mew or a breeding mew or a, you know, bull come to me mew. You know, I, I don't, I don't even know what all those necessarily sound like. I've just found that when I hit that right tonal quality, that right sweetness, it just seems like that's what bulls want to hear. They're, they're out there. They're about breeding during the fall and they're going to come to that nine times out of 10. It's amazing. Yeah. And I've spent enough time with you listening to you call elk that I know exactly what you're you're talking about and it's sometimes hard to put into words but tonal quality is something that I was alluding to earlier when you know and I I, I want to tell the listeners I don't know if this recording is going to capture uh, the sound uh, perfectly right uh, as far as, you know, Steve blowing with his microphone or what have you. But if you go on his YouTube channel and you go and listen to some of the calling where he's maybe further away from the mic and you can hear it, it sounds just like an elk. I mean, identical to an elk. But it's not only the sound, but it's like the timing of the length of the call. It's the sweetness and it's that tonal quality that I feel like a lot of people, including myself, miss out on. And the more that I can sound sweet and have that real genuine three-dimensional sound, that, that super tonal quality is where my calling gets better and where my uh, interaction and my call-ins go up. Right. And Jay, you're being super humble. You're a phenomenal caller. <laughs> well, no doubt I mean, about it. proof is in the pudding. You're being definitely very humble about that. Um, I agree with you and you touched on something that I did. I didn't touch on. And yeah, it's the it's it's the, the length of the call and the cadence. Also, um, one thing that I've noticed it is, um, you know, when I listen to elk a lot, there's times when I've tended to blow a cow call too long. Um, and it, it's it's a it's a fairly short call. 
and it, it's got that high tone and then it drops off into that, you know, more three-dimensional lower sound. Um, there are some sounds cows make that are just kind of high-pitched and more one-dimensional sounding, um, but it seems like that call that I get a lot of success with is that, you know, starts with a nice sweet high note and then drops into that three-dimensional sound. I'll blow that on the trophy wife. I was blowing that matriarch earlier and let you hear the difference. Um, I think you mentioned on a podcast earlier that you like this trophy wife because it just has pizzazz to it is the word that you used. And I think that's that's the perfect term for it. Yeah, and it, it's, I mean, that call, uh, I used it all last year. I, I can't, I've gone through every call that I could find this year and and I've tried out, you know, my whole goal is to blow the best out call. I don't care who makes it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't care what it's called. <laughs> I, I don't care what it's called. I don't care what the name, I don't care what it looks like. I mean, my trophy wife that I have from you, like the paint's all, you know, gone off it and it's now just all white and it's, I've worn the thing out, but it sounds to me, it's, it, I, it's my number one call as far as external read, open read. And yeah, blow it. Let's hear the trophy okay, wife. Here we go. Yeah, it's it's just elk. It it's just got an elky sound and it it it's not me. A lot of how you sound on a call is just the design of the call. And there's just some calls by design, you just can't get good elky sound out of them. So if you're a caller out there and you're struggling with that, um, you know, shop around, try some different calls because there is so much in the design of a call. I actually had somebody ask me on Facebook, they showed me a picture of two calls and asked me, you know, which one do you prefer and does it really make a difference? And I answered him back and I said, yes, it makes a huge difference. Your technique is a ton of it, but the design of the call, um, good or bad, is going to limit what you can do on it. Yeah, and like we've talked, I mean, everybody has different styles. Some people use their teeth. Some people use their lips. Some people use tight lip pressure. Some people use, you know, so not every call is going to work for every person. But I right. can tell you that I've tried every external read call there is. And there's something about, I don't know if it's the shallow uh, soundboard, and I don't even know if shallow is the right word. Right, right. Um, I don't know if it's, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't know if it's the, the curvature. I don't know if it's the width of the mylar, the, 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 the lit, you know, the, the, the uh, thickness of the mylar. I don't know, but I can tell you that the, I make, I feel like the best sounds I make are on the matriarch. And on the trophy wife and the trophy, if I had to pick one out of two, trophy wife is slightly better for what, for my taste. What yeah. would you say, you know, if you, if you had to just pick one, would you, you know, would you ever just pick one or do you think you blow them the same? I, you know, it's kind of funny. I will have a call that I call my sweetie, and that can vary <laughs> from day to day or week to week that, that I feel confident on that just breaks easily and blows easily for me. Um, last year, for the most part, it was the matriarch. Um, but I'm kind of like you. I'm getting more and more partial to that trophy wife. Uh, first of all, I like the name better. <laughs> <laughs> secondly i think you you nailed it right on the head when we go back to talking about it just having that pizzazz it just has a lot of life in it and like i was talking about it just means so much when you get that right tonal quality and right emotion in a call it just really seems to trick a bull's trip a bull's trigger i can remember specifically one time blowing the matriarch and having a bull bugling at me he was probably 120 yards away i was plenty close to him he bugled several times, and then he, I could tell he was losing interest, and his bugling was getting less aggressive. And I switched over to the trophy wife, and bam, his emotion went up the charts, off the charts, and he came right in. Um, yeah. Just that little bit of tonal quality difference. Um, you know, and it could work the other way around at different times. Uh, you know, the matriarch might be what they want to hear. But 
I always think that the more elky your calls sound, the more success overall you're going to have. So, you know, if you if your calls sound elky and you're blowing them sweet and sexy and three dimensional, you know, you might call in on a, on a good day. You might call in eight or nine out of ten bulls versus one or two. Um, you know, and what you might think is, is success calling in one or two bulls, your success may go way up. If you get the right call, put in the right amount of practice and get to sound really elky on it, it might blow your mind how successful you can be.